Welcome to a particularly special edition of Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series. On this broadcast, we present Shave and a Hair-Raising Cut, written by Aaron Robbins. This tale is a one out of five on our kids' scare score scale and the third original Halloween story from our seasonal story series, Mr. Eerie's Trick or Treat Theories. For those new to Mr. Eerie, do stay tuned after the story as we deviate from our usual story-only format with a segment called Behind the Eerie, featuring answers to listener questions and Halloween memories from the creator, Aaron Robbins. Stay tuned after this story for this special behind-the-scenes segment. Thank you. Welcome to Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series. My name is Edward Eerie, Chief Uncoverneer at Mr. Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. We hope the following client message will aid in your selection of a conundrum coaching agency. If you are ready to take a deeper step into our agency's efforts, please consider subscribing to become an Eerie enlistee. Subscribers get exclusive access to at least two special broadcasts a month, featuring enchanting training material from my hard-to-keep-on-shelves, The Empty Book of Everything. For just a few bucks, you can learn to deal with all sorts of unusual yucks. And now, another message left on my machine. Thank you for selecting Mr. Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. If you've been visited by a glitter glob this holiday season, please contact our shimmer sweeps in the Department of Sparkle Services. All others should leave a detailed account of your odd or unusual occurrence. Now prepare yourself for the beep waits for no one. Hello, Mr. Eerie. I trust you recognise the voice. Well, it happened again. According to the Code of Knox, I am required to leave an account of what transpired with an agency, and for obvious reasons, I chose yours again. I have a lot to do, and I'm sure you do as well. So without further ado, here is the complete account of Gwendolyn and the Knock. Morning light filtered through wooden shutters, casting beams onto Gwendolyn Habble's bedroom floor. In the room's far corner, opposite the shutters, Gwendolyn awoke to the sound of her alarm with a pronounced frown. Back by the window, a calico cat with a name tag that read Mr. Shivers stretched and let out a drawn-out meow. I know, Mr. Shivers, Gwendolyn sighed, patting her bed to invite the cat closer. It's a terrible start to Halloween. It's hard to be spooky with such sunny weather, Mr. Shivers meowed in response. Yes, I do have school today. Can you believe that? School on Halloween? As she swung her legs out of bed, she felt Mr. Shivers brush past her feet. And get this, she said, bending over to stroke his fur. They expect us to be in school tomorrow as well. Searching Mr. Shivers' face for understanding, 
Gwendolyn found only the expression of a barely interested cat. She got up and headed to her closet. If I were studying how to care for animals like you, then maybe going to school wouldn't be so bad. But history and math, I'm pretty sure I don't need those to become a veterinarian. Mr. Shivers purred, accompanying her to the closet. Gwendolyn found her school clothes, pristine and ready, hanging next to her Halloween costume, a white lab coat with a handmade patch that read, Dr. Gwen. Should I wear my vet coat to school? she asked the feline. Mr. Shivers purred, and Gwendolyn's gaze followed his to an ornate letter A carved on her closet door. Andrea would advise wearing it, Gwendolyn mused, referencing her sister as she took the coat. She'd say, dress for the job you want, not the job you have, she smiled. You can always count on big sisters to give you inspirational poster advice. Slipping on the veterinary coat, she thought of Andrea, who might be donning her actual white lab coat right then. Andrea did it, made it through school, Gwen said. Straight A's, and now she's a real vet. She picked up her backpack and scratched Mr Shivers behind the ears. But Andrea never had to deal with the awful teacher Miss Veronin, Gwen said, heading out. Navigating the hallway, Gwen's thoughts centred on this Miss Veronin. Her rigorous teaching, timers for bathroom breaks, and her unyielding devotion to assigning homework. Miss Veronin is the worst, said Gwen. More like Miss Boronin. She doesn't know nothing about becoming a vet. At least there's trick-or-treating tonight, Gwen thought, stepping into the sunlight and preparing herself for another day in the seventh grade that was sure to be filled with a lot of homework. Doris Lementary Middle School was only a few blocks from Gwendolyn's home. With every step she took, dry concrete topped with dried leaves crunched under her shoes. Even though Lementary was a middle school, the staff still decked it out for Halloween. Gwen admired the cutouts of jack-o'-lanterns, the cobwebs strung between the bushes, and the inflatable ghost she saw when walking past the nurse's office. Being in school on Halloween turned out not to be a complete drag for Gwendolyn. After enduring homeroom with Miss Veronin, who predictably assigned a two-page worksheet on time management, her subsequent classes were filled with All Hallows' Eve spirit. In English, their teacher, dressed as a famous author, whom Gwen couldn't place, and read spooky tales. During gym, Coach Littlefield, sporting neon leg warmers reminiscent of the most beloved decade, played moody, keyboard-heavy tunes that set a spirited ambience. However, the festive fall atmosphere was sucked away as soon as Gwen stepped back into Miss Veronin's class for history. The whiteboard, devoid of decorations, bore the grim message, Test Today, Early Civilizations. Of course, Gwen mused, a test on Halloween seems fitting for Miss Veronin. Resigned to her fate, Gwen took the test paper and began. When she finished, with about ten minutes to spare, she anticipated spending the remaining class time doodling Mr. Shivers or reading quietly. But Miss Veronin had other plans. Three chapters of reading, she proclaimed, handing out bulky packets. Each chapter comes with its own worksheet and a check-your-knowledge quiz at the end. A collective groan filled the room. Brad Neely from the back voiced his objections. But it's Halloween, Miss Veronin. Miss Veronin shot him a withering look. Which is more important, Mr. Neely? Candy or competency? Brad scratched his head. 
What's competency? Miss Veronin's reply was crisp. The ability to achieve your goals. The class muttered among themselves. That candy was indeed more important. Gwen noticed a subtle shift in Miss Veronin's demeanour, hinting at something more serious. This, she began, is the prime of your lives, where you learn about... Miss Veronin paused and then uttered her favourite word. Responsibility. The room grew silent as the teacher turned her ear toward the class. Then, as if following a well-practised drill, the class in unison said, And responsibility means you can be trusted to do wonderful things. Miss Veronin didn't smile, but she didn't frown either. As the day's final bell tolled, she bid them, Have a competent Halloween and be responsible about knocking on doors. After school, Gwen met up with her friends and they agreed to rendezvous at Shefton Park as soon as the sun set. With plans made, she retraced the familiar path home. Gwendolyn's key clicked in the lock and as she pushed her front door open, she was welcomed by the familiar meow of Mr Shivers. The calico cat wound himself around her legs, brushing against the hanging straps of her school bag. What a day I had, Mr Shivers, Gwendolyn sighed, setting her bag near the door. She sank into the couch, with Mr Shivers hopping up beside her, nuzzling her side. I mean, did early civilizations even have veterinarians? I doubt it. After indulging in a snack, watching some television, and sketching a bit with Mr Shivers beside her, Gwen decided to head upstairs. It's going to be a very long night, she said, settling onto her bed. Mr. Shivers promptly claimed his spot beside her pillow. Maybe a short nap, she pondered. We'll be out trick or treating for hours, and I don't want to look like a sleepy vet. No sooner had the thought passed than both Gwen and Mr. Shivers drifted into a slumber. It was a sudden knock at her door that jolted Gwen awake, heart racing. The world outside her window was enveloped in darkness. Gwendolyn! A familiar voice, undoubtedly her mother's, reached her ears. Your friends are out front, waiting to trick or treat. Are you going? Gwen jumped out of bed and, in a flurry of motion, pulled on her veterinary scrubs. Draping the white coat over her shoulders, she caught sight of a small pumpkin pail on her dresser, perfect for collecting candy. With the pail in hand and the ensemble complete, she felt a surge of excitement. As Gwen dashed down the stairs, she nearly tripped over her backpack, A sinking feeling immediately overshadowed her initial excitement. Oh no, she said. I forgot to do Miss Veronin's homework. Unsure of how to proceed, she opened the door to face her friends. Safara Lynn, one of her friends, peered in. You're late, Gwen. Ready to go? Gwen hesitated. I... I can't go. Not yet. I forgot all about Miss Veronin's homework. Safara Lynn rolled her eyes. Oh, Gwen, she said. One bad grade won't hurt. Castellin, dressed as a rock star, chimed in. Yeah, just circle B for every question. That's what I did. Gwen frowned. I'm pretty sure it's more than just a multiple-choice test. She felt torn. Look, she began, her voice tinged with regret. It's late, but if I hurry, I can catch up with you guys later. Just go ahead without me. Both friends looked disappointed, but nodded. If you're sure, Safaralyn said, and Castellin added, Don't take too long, it's just Miss Veronin's homework. It's not like it matters. With a sigh, Gwen picked up her backpack and looked down at Mr Shivers. 
Come on, she murmured to the cat. We have some late-night work to do on early civilizations. As Gwen sat at her desk, the distant sounds of Halloween made her sad she was missing out, similar to when she had to skip recess to make up a test. But this was different. So much worse, because Halloween came only once a year. With a hurried hand, she placed Mr Shivers on the windowsill. His whiskers twitched, possibly sensing Gwen's growing anxiety. She unzipped her backpack and pulled out the thick packet from Miss Veronin. A heavy sigh escaped her. This is so much, Mr Shivers, she said, turning to the cat. Why on Halloween? Determined, she started working, her eyes scanning paragraphs about the Mesopotamians and her pencil busy jotting down answers. After completing a page and a half, she paused, gazing at Mr Shivers. Do you think there'll be time for some candy? Mr Shivers blinked, his tail flicking against the textbook. You're right, Gwen said. I should keep my eyes on the prize. Time seemed to race by. As she reached the most dense section of the homework, Gwen's brows strained in concentration. I just don't get this, she mumbled, frustration evident. Her thoughts drifted to her sister. I wonder if Andrea did this assignment and if it was as lengthy. Her gaze settled on the A carved into her closet door, a reminder of her older sister. Andrea always found a way, she whispered, drawing inspiration. That means I can find a way too. Encouraged, Gwen refocused on her assignment. She occasionally cast wary glances at the clock, feeling the night speed by. Finally, she finished the packet and assessment test, and noted she'd only answered B twice. Closing her book, she saw it was just past nine. Oh no, she said. Is it too late? Mr Shivers purred and nuzzled her hand. You're right. I should at least try for candy. It's the responsible thing to do, she affirmed. Taking the cat's silent encouragement to heart, Gwen grabbed her pumpkin pail and rushed downstairs, hopeful to salvage some of her Halloween night. The streets were eerily quiet as Gwendolyn stepped out. No trick-or-treaters roamed about, and the warm glow of lights in most houses had dimmed. A solitary candy wrapper danced in the chilly evening breeze, making its way down the empty street. Gwen wondered if maybe her friends had gathered by the school near Shefton Park. She walked in that direction, eyes scanning for any welcoming houses still celebrating Halloween, but found none. Neither the school nor the park held any sign of her friends or Halloween. I guess that's it, she said. Halloween's over, and I missed it. As she lingered in her disappointment, a piece of paper, carried by the wind from the schoolyard, blew towards her. She instinctively stopped it with her foot and bent down to pick it up. Last chance, Candy? The title read. Beneath it, Gwen's eyes traced over what appeared to be a poem. On Halloween's night, at midnight or before. Knock on a closet five times, then two more. Then you'll soon see it's never too late to get more candy than anyone's ate. So go to the room where you've been a reader and knock on the closet for reverse trick-or-treaters. A slight smile found its way onto Gwen's face. It had to be schoolwork, probably a poem crafted by some creative student earlier in the day. Still, the idea of a reverse trick or treater. 
Someone coming to her door to give her candy was impossible but fun to think about. It figures, she chuckled, holding up her empty pail. All I managed to collect tonight is another assignment. With a light-hearted sigh, she tucked the note into her pail and headed home, her bucket void of candy. Gwendolyn sat on her bed, looking at her empty bucket. All that work for nothing, she said. Her mood sank as she thought about missing out on Halloween. Maybe I'm too old for this. Maybe that was my last time trick or treating. She put the bucket on the floor and lay down. I should sleep, she said. School again tomorrow. Suddenly she heard Mr Shivers purr and the sound of plastic moving. Mr Shivers, you okay? she asked. But the cat didn't answer. Mr Shivers? Again no response, so she sat up in bed to check on her cat. On the floor she saw him dragging the note she found at school. That's not candy, she said. Mr Shivers dropped the paper and purred. What? she asked, picking up the paper. She looked at it and then at her closet door. You want me to knock? she said. Gwen reread the note. Knock five times, then two more, it read. Like shave and a haircut, two bits, Gwen said. Mr Shivers purred. She thought for a moment. Fine, why not? It's just a silly story some kid wrote. She went to the closet and paused. Then she raised her right hand and knocked. Five times to the rhythm of shave and a haircut. Then added two more knocks after a pause. Two bits. Gwen watched the door more for dramatic effect than in expectation of anything. She waited. The room was silent. The only sound was her desk clock ticking. After a minute, she put her hand on the closet door's handle and twisted it. When the knob reached its limit, Gwen pulled on it, opening the door to reveal the inside. To her utter and complete expectation, the closet looked just as it always did, filled with clothes and an empty hanger where the costume she was now wearing had hung earlier in the day. Nothing there, she said, smiling at Mr Whiskers. She climbed into bed and pulled the covers over her. Mr Shivers jumped up next to her. As she closed her eyes, she thought about Miss Veronin and decided she was wrong about competency and responsibility. All those things meant was missing out on really living. Gwendolyn didn't bother with her covers. She simply lay atop her bed in her veterinary costume, sleep claiming her quickly despite the night's disappointments. Later, the stern meowing of Mr Shivers interrupted her dreams. Blinking in the dimly lit room, Gwen peered at her clock. Eleven twenty, Mr Shivers, why the fuss? She said, her voice cranky with sleep. The cat's meows didn't lessen. In fact, they grew louder, more frantic. Okay, okay, I'm up. What is it? She mumbled, sitting up. Then Gwendolyn heard it. A knock. She froze, trying to discern if she had imagined it. But no, there it was again. Not just any knock, but the rhythm she'd used earlier. Shave and a haircut, two bits. And to her hair-raising alarm, the knock was coming from the other side of her closet door. A swirl of thoughts flooded her mind. Am I still dreaming? 
A quick pinch revealed she wasn't. Whatever was happening was happening for real. The chill in the room snapped as Gwen pulled her knees to her chest. Mr Shivers, she muttered, do you think... do you think it's because of the note? The persistent meows seemed like a confirmation. Or maybe... a warning? Animals are good at sensing things, a fact Gwendolyn was well aware of. I'm not answering it, she said. There can't be anything in there. It's probably just a pair of shoes trying to fall off the shelf or something. But the knocking didn't stop. Shave and a haircut continued to sound from her closet, each time growing in intensity. The knocking, now impossible to ignore. A voice in her head screamed at her to hide, to retreat under the safety of her covers, wait for her parents to hear the noise and come in. But another part, the part that wondered if this was to be her last Halloween, wouldn't let her hide. If she didn't face this now, would she ever have the courage to face anything in the future? Mustering some thread of courage, and aided by the presence of her trusty cat, Gwendolyn got out of bed and approached the closet. She hesitated for a moment, listening to the haunting rhythm, then reached for the handle, preparing herself for whatever awaited on the other side. She turned the handle and swung open the door. As the closet door creaked open, Gwendolyn braced for the worst, but instead of a threatening void or the glow of evil eyes, she faced a large, furry monster. It awkwardly positioned itself among her dresses and jackets, its horns curving elegantly and shimmering with hues of green and blue, stark against its soft fluff. While most would have screamed, Gwendolyn remained strangely composed. There was a certain non-threateningness to the monster, emphasised by what it was carrying, a bucket filled to the brim with candy. Here's your fee, it declared, its tone younger than she'd expected. Taking the bucket, Gwendolyn tried to make sense of the unexpected guest now wandering her room. Where do I wait? the creature inquired, its eyes filled with wonder. Wait, wait, for what? Gwendolyn asked, her eyebrows raised in confusion. Who are you, or what are you? Hey there, I'm Fester, the monster said. Looks like I'm the first one here. Where should I wait for the others? Gwendolyn watched as the monster named Fester didn't wait for an answer. Her bed springs squeaked and moaned as the monster plopped himself onto it. Gwendolyn's attempt to answer and direct the monster to her desk chair was interrupted by Mr Shivers, who hissed from the end of her bed. The monster's eyes locked onto the feline. Wow! A cat! Wait, has it always been a cat? Marvin, is that you? Gwendolyn was confused, alarmed and overwhelmed. All feelings she encountered daily at middle school but this was her bedroom in the middle of the night, and she was struggling to process what was happening. Yes, that's my cat, Mr Shivers, she said, and can you please take your fur off my bed? She waited for Fester to say something sensible, but he crossed his thick and furry legs and closed his eyes. Gwen was about to repeat herself, when another knock resonated from the closet door, the shave and a haircut rhythm unmistakable. Gwendolyn's focus shifted between Fester the monster and the new knocking at her closet door. Stay put, she instructed. Then with a glance at Mr Shivers added, and don't eat anything. With a swiftness that said she was tiring of the late night knocks, Gwendolyn flung her closet door open. To her surprise, there was nothing there besides her clothes, 
but then the bottom of her shirts fluttered like flags in a small wind. She looked below the shirts and saw another furry creature. This smaller one, about the size of a school desk, sported polka-dotted fur of red and yellow. A large horn with what looked like a suction cup at the end sprouted from the top of its furry head. Here you go, said the small monster, dropping a bag of candy onto the floor before squeezing past Gwendolyn. She pivoted to track its movement and watched the creature wobble across the bedroom. It did a playful jump upon seeing Fester lounging on the bed. Taking a nap during the big night, the smaller monster said to Fester. The bed creaked as Fester quickly sat up. Lester! Fester exclaimed. You made it! Wouldn't miss it, Lester said, jumping up onto the bed. The mattress and bed frame was bending in the middle, just one of the many things that were currently concerning Gwendolyn. Excuse me, Fester, and Lester, is it? Would you mind getting off my bed and explaining what's happening? Gwendolyn noticed concern flashing across Lester's face. She doesn't know, he whispered to Fester. Fester shrugged. I guess not. Don't know what, Gwendolyn pressed. It's amazing, Lester said. You see, tonight is the night when we... But before Lester could finish, another knock on Gwen's closet door interrupted him. Mr Shivers let out a crisp meow, succinctly capturing the moment. Exactly, Gwendolyn agreed. This is getting absurd. I'm not running a monster hotel, you know. Stealing herself with a confidence she didn't quite feel, Gwendolyn competently swung open the closet door, not waiting for a second knock. Within, she found a tall, slender stick of fur, sporting a single eye and a goofy grin. It's Dave! Fester and Lester cheered in unison. The lanky fur creature, Dave, brushed past Gwendolyn, thrusting a pail of candy into her hands. That's right, Dave is in. Let the party begin, Dave said about himself. In exasperation, Gwendolyn closed her closet door with more force than she intended. It made a sharp thud and the room fell silent, save for Mr Shivers' approving meow as if echoing her sentiments. Would someone or something please tell me what is going on? Gwendolyn asked. Why are you all here? And why are you giving me candy? The three monsters exchanged glances, silently debating who should answer. Stepping forward, Fester began, his hands clasped in front of him. You've been chosen, said Fester, or I guess you chose to be chosen, Lester chimed in. You did the knock, so now you've been chosen. Gwendolyn felt the tiniest bit of fear begin to well up inside her. Chosen for what? she asked. To host our party, said Fester. Entry fee, one bucket of Halloween candy, said Lester. Paid in full, said Dave. A Halloween party? asked Gwen. Not exactly, said Fester. Then what kind of party is it? asked Gwen. The three monsters exchanged glances. Tonight we get to become kids. Real human kids, said Lester. Can you believe it? No, Gwen couldn't believe it, and against her better judgment, decided to engage with the monsters further. Why in the world would you want to become a human kid? she asked. The slender monster, Dave, slid forward off the bed, adopting a scholarly stance. Being a monster is, in a word, awful. Yeah, it's awful, added Lester. Dave continued. We can eat all the candy we want, stay up as late as we like, watch whatever we please, do whatever we want, and we don't even have to be good at any of it. Um...
that sounds absolutely amazing to me, said Gwen. Gwen caught the sweet scent of Dave's breath as he leaned in close to her. That's because I haven't told you the bad part yet. You see, once a year the most awful thing happens. The expressions on Fester's and Lester's faces grew sombre as Dave continued. Once a year we have to give up some of our candy for human trick-or-treaters. The trio of monsters let out a gasp that conveyed their horror at the revelation. What do you mean, some of your candy? Gwen inquired. The candy tax, Dave explained. That's where all your Halloween candy comes from. Once a year they take some of our candy and distribute it to human kids on Halloween. Lester's soft fur brushed against Gwen as he joined Dave next to her. I'm the one who cracked the mystery, said Lester. Figured it out, I did. Figured what out? Gwen probed. I figured out why kids are scared of monsters, said Lester. Gwen raised an eyebrow and crossed her arms, preparing to hear the explanation. You see, kids are scared of monsters because we have it so bad. They're scared of becoming monsters. They're scared of having to give up a little candy once a year. Gwen raised a hand. Um, I don't think that's why kids are scared of monsters. Of course it is, insisted Lester. Kids wouldn't be scared of monsters if they thought we had it better than they did. They'd all be looking for a way to become a monster themselves. But since kids are scared of us, I conclude that kids must have it better than we do, and therefore we monsters shall become kids. Exactly, said Dave. Think about it. Kids don't got any rules, and they get free candy every Halloween. A shadow grew over Gwen as Fester stepped into the conversation. It's not fair said Fester. So we decided to enact the secret knock and become kids ourselves. Lester's top horn honked a little. And after we do, we're going to go back and tell all the other monsters that they should become kids too. Exactly, added Dave. I bet all the monsters in Monsterville are tired of giving up their candy, so we're all going to become kids. Tonight, right here. We knocked, we paid you a bucket of candy, and now we get to become kids. Gwendolyn struggled to maintain a straight face. The theory the monsters clung to was amusing, and she felt a giggle threatening to escape. Still, a playful grin sneaked onto her face. Well, you'll have to be quick about it, she said, because it's well past both Mr. Shivers and my bedtime. The monsters peered at her with genuine curiosity. What's a bedtime? Fester inquired. Gwendolyn opened her mouth to explain but before she could say words, another knock resounded from her closet door. With little effort and perfect timing, Gwendolyn swung open her closet door to the beat of the knock. Welcome to the party, she announced sarcastically, expecting another furry creature to tumble out from within. Instead, a woman stepped forward draped in a black shawl and crowned with a tall pointed hat. Gwendolyn, the figure said, good to see you again. Gwendolyn eyed the woman with a detective's precision, taking in the details of the most impressive witch's costume she had ever seen. Fester, Lester and Dave, good evening to you as well, the woman greeted. It was how she uttered their names, with a familiarity and authority, that clicked the puzzle pieces into place in Gwendolyn's mind. Miss Veronin, Gwendolyn exclaimed, her voice echoing with realisation. You're a witch! I knew it! From the shadows, Mr Shivers meowed with emphasis. I told you, Mr Shivers, 
Didn't I say Miss Veronin was a witch? I'm a teacher first, Miss Veronin corrected with a hint of amusement. A witch second? Gwendolyn, her eyes still wide, managed a question. So what lesson are we diving into tonight? Monster transformation? I teach what I always teach, Miss Veronin replied, her gaze shifting to the eager monsters. So, shall we begin? The monsters buzzed with anticipation, bouncing up and down and clapping their claws in excited little motions. You monsters wish to be human children, yes? Miss Veronin inquired, her eyes capturing each monster in turn. Their heads bobbed in agreement. To be human, she started thoughtfully, means accepting responsibilities. Confusion flickered across the monsters' faces. What's responsibilities? Fester wondered aloud. Gwendolyn stepped in. Responsibilities are tasks you do to ensure everything continues running well. Miss Veronin, nodding in agreement, continued. And to truly embody humanness, you must show competency. Lester's brow furrowed in confusion. What's that? Competency is possessing reliable skills, so others can trust you to do things in a productive way, Gwendolyn said. Miss Veronin, her eyes gleaming, dropped another revelation. And such traits are honed through... Gwendolyn interjected. They're honed through homework, she said. Dave's voice wavered. What's a homework? Gwendolyn reached for the towering stack of papers she had spent her Halloween completing. This, she announced, is homework. As the monsters absorbed the sheer volume of the pile, their enthusiasm waned. You have to do all of that once a year? Lester questioned. Gwendolyn grinned, a proud sparkle in her eye. Try five nights a week for 180 days a year. That's horrendous, Lester gasped. That's terrifying, Dave murmured. That's the scariest thing I've ever heard, Fester declared, his voice tinged with genuine dread. Just then, Gwendolyn noticed Miss Veronin reaching for something. Then, from from beneath her shawl, the teacher produced a white wand. Now then, are you ready to embark on the journey to become real human kids? The monsters, in a harmonious chorus of no ways and nevers, ran back into the depths of the closet. With a triumphant smirk, Miss Veronin remarked, I thought as much. With elegance, she closed the closet door and turned her attention back to Gwendolyn. So, you decided to finish your homework, Miss Veronin observed with a raised brow. I suspected you might, Gwendolyn's forehead creased with puzzlement. Why did you assume that, Gwendolyn said. I detest homework, truly, especially homework on Halloween night. Drawing closer, the glint in Miss Veronin's eyes said she had a secret to tell. Because you're a lot like your sister, and she helped me turn back the monsters one Halloween many years ago. Gwendolyn's heart skipped a beat. Andrea, she had you as a teacher. Nodding, Miss Veronin replied, she did, and I had her as a student. She heard my knock just like you and uttered the same explanations you did. She completed the assignment to ensure those mischievous monsters didn't overrun kids' bedrooms everywhere. Gwendolyn's gaze turned to the closet door, memories of the monsters fresh in her mind. Perhaps I was paying more attention in class than I thought, she remarked to Miss Veronin. The expression on her teacher's face softened. Indeed you were, and you managed to handle quite a challenging assignment tonight.
Gwendolyn looked at her pile of completed homework. Did you assign all of that just to scare off the monsters? she asked. No, well, at least not all of it. Gwen saw a twinkle in her teacher's eye, and then, with a wave of her wand, Miss Veronin drew an iridescent A right beneath an existing one on the closet door. But, Miss Veronin, my name starts with a G, Gwendolyn said. Miss Veronin grinned. This letter doesn't mark your name, dear. It stands as a testament to your effort in the subject of monster wrangling. Andrea got an A, and I'm pleased to report that so did you. Looking at the glowing A, Gwendolyn felt a surge of pride, both for herself and for the secret legacy her sister and her now shared. As Miss Veronin headed toward the closet, she paused. Mind if I show myself out? Gwendolyn chuckled. By all means. As the closet door began to close, Miss Veronin leaned back out, her silhouette framed against the dim light within. You have a knack for handling of curious creatures, she said. You're going to be an outstanding veterinarian, just like your sister. See you tomorrow, Miss Veronin, said Gwen with a smile. Without a doubt, the teacher replied as the closet door came to a close. Dear Miss Veronin, Thank you for calling and for leaving your acknowledgement of Knox. I must say everyone here at the agency was pleased to hear your voice again, although it appears we have several of your former students serving as enlistees because some of them ran out of the machine room, claiming you were likely to leave them a homework assignment at the end of your message. Thank you for keeping the monsters of mischief at bay. Some might say your work deserves a vacation. May all your papers come in on time, Mr. Edward Erie, Chief Uncover Near Mr. Erie's Disturbing Detective Agency. Hey there, my name is Aaron Robbins, and I am the writer and creator of Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series. I hope you enjoyed Shave and a Hair-Raising Cut. I sure had a ton of fun writing it. I didn't know exactly where it was going to go. I just knew I wanted to do something with like a secret knock or some sort of knock inside of a bedroom on Halloween, and that's how it turned out, and I hope you enjoyed it. I had a ton of fun writing it, as I do all the episodes here on Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series, and I've had a blast writing the ones for Halloween. We got one more left, and it's going to be a good one, and that's coming out sometime next week. But before we get to that, I wanted to take a minute to answer some listener questions and share some Halloween memories that I have. One of the questions that sometimes people ask me is, how much of the episodes have actually happened to me? Like, obviously not the whole story points, but how much of the details that are in the episodes come from real life experiences? And small parts of them have. Um, I've got my bag snatched uh, when I was in. In middle school, actually, I was out. I went, I'll tell you what I went as that year because I remember it was uh, Halloween probably the day before. It might have been Halloween morning and I still didn't have a costume, which is a theme that I use in storytelling pretty often. And so I decided to go as a kangaroo crossing sign. 
How did I get that idea? I have no idea, but I remember taking a box. This was before the days of Amazon, uh, so I don't know why we had a giant cardboard box, but we did, and I took it into the backyard and cut out a hole for my head and then painted on a, a diamond-shaped kangaroo crossing sign. And knowing my artistic ability, I would have to assume that there's no way that this looked like a kangaroo. It probably looked like a gecko crossing or like messy blob crossing or something like that. But that's what I went as, and I remember that it was really hard to walk in, and it was really hard to run in. And I knew it was hard to walk in because I had trouble keeping up with my friends, so much so that in a dark neighborhood uh, over by a lake that was near a house that I grew up in, I got kind of left behind. And I just remember that there's this house off to the left of me on this street with no sidewalk and no lights, and their front yard was all ivy. Like, ivy you would see creeping up a tree, but this was just kind of all over their front yard. I don't know why that sticks out in my head. Um, But my friends were up ahead, and then I heard somebody say something and jumped out of the bushes and started chasing me. I don't remember what they said, but it was something to the effect of, let's get them or get their bag or drop your candy or something. So I ran and ran unsure if the people chasing me wanted me, which I think was unlikely, wanted my costume, which was even more unlikely, or my candy, which is, I think, what was going around in my head. So as I knew I wasn't going to make a clean getaway, I I think I envisioned all those movie scenes where uh, somebody that's running away from something throws, like, a stake on the ground to get the dog that's chasing them to, like, become distracted by the stake. I didn't have stake, and I wasn't being chased by a dog. I was being chased by people, and people like candy. And so I threw my pillowcase full of candy on the ground and never heard anything about it. And that Halloween, I got skunked on candy, which is also a theme in some of the trick-or-treat theory stories that have appeared on this podcast this season. The bag snatching instance of 89, I don't really know what year it was, but somewhere around there. That's not the scariest thing that's happened to me on Halloween. Let's answer a few listener submitted questions first, though, and then I'll tell you about the first time I went into a haunted house. All right, so the first listener question is, what is your favorite part of making this show? I have two really quickly. My favorite part by far is, it's by leaps and bounds, my favorite part is when the episode is done. Uh, So much goes into writing and producing and editing and putting everything together. And every single episode, uh, about three-fourths of the way through it, I don't think I'm going to get it done. I just just don't think it's going to work. And so when it comes together and it's finally finished and I can be like, it's done. Uh, And then there's usually times where I need to make changes to it later in the car by my phone. Um, But when that's done, when it's done and I can breathe a sigh of relief, uh, knowing that the content that I've worked hard on producing is out there, that's my favorite part by far. But like the actual production creative part, what's my favorite part? Other than writing dialogue, it's probably when the story finally comes together because uh, there's there's a lot of hours where it just doesn't make sense. and There's a lot of things going a lot of different directions. And maybe you've listened to some episodes and you're like, but they never come together. Uh, that's fine. Fair, fair criticism, fair assessment. But when I feel that they've come together, like this is a workable story now uh, or what they call breaking story. Uh, it's weird because they call it breaking the story, but it's actually when the story uh, is, is fixed. I think it's more like breaking through a wall or something like that, like breaking through the barriers and the story's finally there and it's working. That's my favorite part uh, by far. Great question. Next question on the little list here that was sent to me is, who has your favorite character been so far and why? That is a hard question because uh, I like them all. I love them all. I mean, they're all my creation, so it's hard to pick a favorite one. Um, but probably, and, and so in answering it also, there might be spoilers um, in this. And I have to recall what their names are. But if I had to answer it right now, I would probably say my favorite character. I get to pick two. Okay, I get to pick two. It's not fair to make me pick one. I'm picking two. My favorite character is Lynn R. Pear from... From uh, story 2A and 2B called Help, 
a ghost is in my burger and a phantom ate my fries. Lynn Arpair is my favorite um, character for reasons that I would love to go into. Maybe I will in the future, but for spoiler reasons, I won't go into it. My second favorite character would be uh, the principal from Story 7, which is called Stop the School Dance of Doom. All right, we'll do one more question, and then we'll talk about a haunted house. Let's see. The next question is, what is a surprising thing about... What is a surprising thing about you that your audience would want to know? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, A surprising thing might be that I went to school for animation. I actually went to the first or inaugural class of an animation school uh, in California, and it was run and started by people from Disney and Industrial Light and Magic and DreamWorks and Pixar. And I got to be mentored and I got to be taught in short story development and character animation um, by some of the best people in the business, which I, I really enjoyed. It was it was one of those pivotal parts. And so I, I hold this like really deep uh, appreciation for animation. But the appreciation is is it's a weird appreciation because it's it's more because I can't do it. It's more because it's not my thing and I wanted it so badly to be my thing growing up, going to Disneyland, being familiar with the Disney films, uh, being into Pixar and stop motion and uh, Tim Burton stuff. I wanted to be an animator so much that I put everything on hold and went to school for it. And I remember being in one of my last classes and the person that was teaching it was the person that animated the cave troll and the chains and stuff in the Minds of Moria sequence of the Lord of the Rings trilogy of movies. And I remember him asking me a question about what I'd learned in his class and, and what I wanted to take forward and all this stuff. And I remember answering it, I learned in your class that I'm not an animator. And there was this look on his face of like, that's the most honest answer I've gotten and also the most unexpected answer I've gotten because that was that was my goodbye. That answer was my goodbye to that industry. And so I guess the surprising thing for me is I, I, I love animation and I appreciate it and I want badly to be an animator. I'm just, I'm just not. I, I'm a more of a storyteller than I am an animator and learning what you're not is as important as learning what you are. But you know what? You know what people would find? You know, I'm just thinking about this after I've already given this sort of heartfelt answer to the question. You know what people would be surprised to learn is I don't really like creepy or scary stories. I have a very low tolerance for being scared and having scary stuff. Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, her tolerance is through the roof. Like nothing seems to bother her in the scary thing. And so I have to be like, I don't know if I can watch, like, I don't know if I can watch this, where it's normally the other way around where the parent is like trying to protect their child. Uh, my child. Children try to protect me from scary things because even though I have a odd and eerie and scary story podcast that I write new episodes for every week, sometimes twice a week, I myself don't enjoy being scared, uh, which leads into a, the story of my first time I went to a haunted house. Seeking out haunted houses or anything like that was pretty much something that I, I avoided. Not only did I not seek it out, but I actually actively looked to not be in those kinds of situations. But my best friend at the time said, hey, my dad got tickets to the March of Dimes haunted house. And I didn't know what the March of Dimes was at the time. It sounded scary to me. It's not. It's a not-for-profit organization that was founded by Franklin D. Roosevelt in the late 30s, I believe, to help uh, with the health and care of of babies and mothers and things like that. So it's a not-for-profit. I just didn't know that at the time. It just sounded scary, like March of Dimes. But it was my best friend, and we were somewhat competitive, and so I wasn't about to say no. So I got in their car, and we drove out 
out to this setting, and this this setting is so clear in my head right now, even though this happened many decades ago. I can see it in my head as if it were yesterday, and I'm sure it's inaccurate, and here's why I know it's inaccurate. I see in my head us driving up to this house on a hill with grass around it that looks exactly like the house from Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. I know that's not the case. I don't know where this house was. It's not too far from where I'm at now. I just don't have any idea where it was. The other thing I remember is that there were these really big spotlights, like spotlights as big as like a, a monster truck tire, but turned on their side. And and they were all over the place pointing up into the air and you could see them from miles around, which I think is the point of a spotlight to draw attention to something. Uh, and so it was kind of guiding people to this event, which was the March of Dimes Haunted House. And I'd never been in one before. And we went in and we went through it and it started off okay. And I just remember I have one concrete memory from being in the house um, because I was staying close to my best friend. I was staying close to their family. I was, you know, I was like huddled up next to them. And I remember we went into a room that was totally black and it split into two hallways that were divided by, you know, like trash bags and a tarp. And they somehow ended up going down one hallway and I somehow ended up going down the other hallway by myself. And at the end of this hallway, it's sort of illuminated with strobe lights and there was a big wheel uh, like you might put somebody on at a circus and then throw knives at them. But on this on this wheel, it was it was painted in sort of a swirly black and white pattern that was spinning. And so my eyes were kind of focused on it, trying to see the end of this hallway. And it was dark and there was like whatever, a fog machine in there and lights were strobing. And I walked to the end of this thing. At the end of it, a, a figure jumped out and scared everything that I have inside of me. It scared all of that out. Uh, we made it out of the haunted house, obviously. But to this day, no doubt to this day, Decades later, I still associate um, spotlights that when you when you see them every night, used car lots, uh, theme parks, things like that. I still associate spotlights with danger. Like, don't go near the spotlight. Why not? Well, they might have a haunted house, and that would be really bad. So, stay away from spotlights. That's my advice to you this holiday season. All right, let's do a couple more questions, and then I'll share the scariest thing that ever happened to me on Halloween. This next question is what what it's what's the hardest part of writing a story? It's a great question. Um, I think it's different for everybody, and it's different for every story. Honestly, the hardest part of every story um, is kind of different for every story. But generally speaking, the hardest part is making it make sense. the The hardest part of writing, I think, any story probably is the fact that none of this stuff actually happened. I, I'm sorry to tell you that this is like a spoiler warning. None of this stuff hap- actually happened, but I have to present it in a way where it did happen. Um, and that presents a whole bunch of problems. And solving those problems is both the, the the joy of writing and storytelling, and it's also the hardest part. The next question is, how can I get started if I want to write stories? That, that's the best question. I love that question. That is my favorite question to be asked. Uh, and the answer is both very complicated and also incredibly simple. The simple answer is to start writing stories. Uh, and in, in my head, like a great way to do that is to think of a character and just take them on an adventure. Right now, you don't have, need to worry about plot structure and acts and conflict and resolution and theming and all that. Just take a, a character that you like in your head, something that you have an affinity for and take them on an adventure. Just take them out for a day. Take them somewhere. Think of a character that that is a friend of yours at school or mix a couple of your friends together or think of something from a video game that you like and take that person to a theme park for the day. Just start thinking about what might happen when they get there to buy their tickets and when they go inside or take them to a basketball game. What might happen at halftime? Just take your character out for an adventure and see what happens. And when you feel comfortable doing that, when you're, have fun, you're having fun doing that and you've done that in a few paragraphs, then think about what your character likes. What are they good at doing? Are they, are they, they 
love roller coasters. They love sports. They want to be a professional basketball player. That's their thing. They're really athletic. And then in this adventure that you're taking your character on, have the opposite happen to them. Have the thing that they're least good at, least interested in, least equipped to handle, have that happen to them. And just practice taking things on adventures. And soon you will you will see how those things naturally develop into a story. And you'll be there. You'll be writing. Okay, next question. I'm just, this is like a lightning round that's happening right now. How long has Mr. Erie had a detective agency? Uh, This question could be taken in one of two ways. Uh, At what time in Mr. Erie's life did he start the detective agency? Or how long has that detective agency existed, uh, which may give you an indication of how old Mr. Erie is. Um, So I'm not going to answer that question. Um, I can tell you this, though, that there was a time in Mr. Erie's life where he did not have a detective agency, or at least he was not the owner of it. And there was events that happened in which the detective agency uh, formed. How many stories are you working on in your head at one time? When I first started writing for Mr. Erie and created the show, I was working on two to three stories in my head at any one time. And that was because I was so nervous I wouldn't be able to do it. I was so nervous that the stories weren't good and that I wouldn't be able to do it. And I'd have to chop one at the last moment and just be like, I can't, this isn't working. I can't do it. And that certainly has happened. There have been weeks where the story I worked on, I was just like, I don't, this isn't a story. I can't do much with this. Uh, But it doesn't happen as much anymore because I've made a lot of mistakes and then learned like, oh, this is what a mistake feels like. So I should probably just abandon it right now and move on to a different idea. So right now in the current phase of the podcast, I only have um, one story in my mind at a time for the podcast. Uh, and then there's sort of the idea going around for the Erie and Listy content, the subscription only content that's available, which if you're interested, you should. There will always be free content and plenty of it on Mr. Erie's. But if you want more, there's the Erie and Listy subscription which comes with it. Stories that I love. I love the stories that I'm writing for the subscription content, uh, which is loosely taken from something called Mr. Erie's Empty Book of Everything. So I'll have the main story for the podcast in my head. I'll have the empty book of everything story kind of in my head. And then I'm working on a completely unrelated story um, that I will uh, talk about at a later time. And so that's kind of in my head, but they're never in my head at the same time. Uh, That used to be the case that they would all compete for space in my brain. It's not the case anymore. There's only one in my head at any one specific time. Thanks for everyone who submitted questions. I had fun reading the questions and I had an equal amount of fun answering them. Here's the scariest thing that ever happened to me on Halloween. It happened when I was 12 years old and I was home, not alone. My whole family was home. I have an older sister and I had parents and they were all home, but it was late at night. It was well after homework time. I don't know if you have that in your life. Homework time uh, for us was from, I don't know, like six to eight 30. And then you had like wind down time from like eight 30 to nine 30. And then you were pretty much in bed by 10 when I was 12 years old. And so we were in our house and it was dark outside and it was a week or two before Halloween. And we were in that wind down time after homework was done. Everything was quiet. The lights out in front of the house were off. And I heard a knock at a door, like a loud knock. And it was just kind of an unusual thing. Like our house wasn't super near everybody else's house. Uh, So there was distance, you know, and and it was not a time for door-to-door salesmen or anything like that. So a knock at the door during this time in our history was an unusual thing. And right away, I think it does this even now, but right away it makes your hair stand up on the back of your neck. You get you get freaked out. Uh, and so everybody's like, what do we do? It's like we've never seen a door before, right? We're like, what do we do? How do we answer it? Like, how do locks work? What, what should we do? Should we go upstairs and hide in the closet? Nobody knew what to do. So we kind of paced around. And then the knock came again, like louder. 
And my dad went over there and I was, I remember like pleading with him to not answer the door. Like, I didn't know, I th- maybe I thought we were going to get sucked into some sort of time portal or something, but I, but we were like, don't answer the door. Like they'll get in, whatever it is out there, they'll get in. But he went over and he answered the door and it was a bad idea because on our doorstep was an old pirate looking parchment. I don't think it was on fire at the time. It might've been, but definitely its edges were burned and um, it was laying on our doorstep. And there was nobody around. And this is the first time in my life, and I think the only time, actually, where somebody has left an old scroll that's partially burned up on my doorstep in the middle of the night. Not the middle of the night, but in the late evening, uh, knocked ferociously and then disappeared. It's the only time that that had ever happened to me, and I didn't really know how to respond to it. And so we're like, don't open the note. It's cursed. Like, if you open it and you read it, like, whatever it says, that's going to happen to us. So don't open it and read it, you know, but this is like a 12-year-old brain working. And so my dad opened it up and... It was an invitation for my sister to go to a Halloween party for one of the girls in the neighborhood. It was just the most elaborate invitation uh, and the scariest one. But for a few minutes there, I was terrified that some entity had showed up at our door and dropped off a curse in the form of a scroll. And we had taken it into our house, opened it, and we're now going to become cursed ourselves. Uh, instead, the real curse was that we were forced to, you know, live out life as teenagers and teenagers go to Halloween parties and drama ensues. Uh, That was the only curse that happened that night. And the scariest thing I think, hopefully, that's ever happened to me on Halloween. Hey, thanks for listening to this behind the eerie intermission uh, part of this episode. If you have any more questions, we'll do another one of these in about 10 or so episodes. I want to take one second, though, and just thank you from the bottom of my creative heart for listening and participating uh, in the Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series community. The fact that you listen to the stories and for those of you who have left reviews and for for all of you who have become an Eerie enlistee, there's no possible way that I could share with you what that means to me and um, the thankfulness and appreciation that I have that we get to do this thing called storytelling and, and share ideas about the world and about growing up and about being scared and all those kinds of things um, that I get to share those with you and that you listen to them. And it, it really is wonderful. And I can't thank you enough for being a part of this community and for listening to this very episode. If you do want to help the podcast, you're certainly not required to, uh, or even encouraged to all, all you need to do is, is just listen and enjoy and that's it. But if you want to know what three things are that you could do to help the podcast, hey, two of them are free. Uh, and that would be leave a review if you want in the Apple Podcasting app or whatever. Leave a leave whatever, however many stars you, you think the podcast should have. The other thing you could do, which would be helpful, would be to tell a friend or tell somebody, tell anyone that you think would also enjoy this podcast. Just tell them about it. Recommend that they listen to it. That would be helpful. And the last thing is to become an Erie Enlistee. If you want to go deeper into the world of Mr. Erie's disturbing detective agency, become an Erie Enlistee today, and that would be fantastic. All right, until the next Behind the Erie episode, Uh, Thanks for listening.